Today's podcast is brought to you by Progresso Talent Partners, who for more than 25 years have successfully delivered interim and permanent leadership talent to transform businesses. To hire the talent you need to enable your business to thrive, visit www.progressotalent.com today. Simone Thomas is a highly respected entrepreneur and award-winning authority in the world of hair, health and wellness. Having started her early career as a model, whilst dealing with several serious health issues from an early age, Simone personally suffered from hair loss, thinning and the devastating effects this had on her physical, mental and emotional well-being. This inspired her to open up a hair loss clinic to help others to achieve beautiful shiny hair and restore their confidence and self-esteem. That inspiration has driven her to build a highly successful business empire that includes multi-award winning hair salons and hair loss clinics. She is the author of Amazon bestseller, Healthy Hair, Happy Body, founder of multi-award winning Simone Thomas Wellness, a leading hair loss consultant, bioenergetics practitioner and nutrition advisor. So what's the story behind the story? Without further ado, let's get into it. Simone Thomas, welcome to the Astrology Podcast. Great to have you as my guest this afternoon. As always, hugely appreciative of your time, your input and your candor. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, but as is customary with all things astrology, I like to start with guests and the kind of the early years, if you like. So uh, inevitably, that first question turns to childhood. Where did you grow up? What was childhood like for you? Wow. So childhood was eventful, most definitely, for a number of reasons, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, my father had passed away when I was six in Saudi Arabia in a car accident. And unfortunately, he passed away from brain damage. And my mum and my father weren't actually together when this happened. So obviously, I grew up just with my mother at the time. He had passed away and everything just went completely overnight. You know, we're talking 1988. So back then, you know, my father was 31. He was from Wales. You know, you didn't really have a will, you know, at that age. You never thought, you know, that time was going to come. And literally my mum's life changed overnight. She had to get three jobs. She was very good in the sense that she put myself and my brother into private school because she thought, well, at least it's structure for us while she was doing a day job, a night job. She was working for a chiropodist. She was doing shorthand and she also worked in an AIDS um, ward in the local hospital. So a real mix of roles of what she was doing, but that was also her skills. So I went to school in Malvern for a number of years um, to an incredible school looking back now, Croft Down, but it was really, really strict. You had to wear corduroys, uh, which I don't even think exist really anymore. <laughs> shirts. We all had to wear the same underwear, the same socks, the same ugly brown Charlie Brown shoes. All of our hair was cut into, you know, like a, a, an army camp bob, you know, with a sieve. It, I mean, it was pretty bad looking back now that, you know, a school like that, you know, it's not even open anymore. So that tells you a <laughs> lot of things. Church every Sunday. And yeah, I probably spent from age six to probably to age 10, 11 there, and then actually moved uh, a bit more local to here and went to school in Shaftesbury for a couple of years, for my younger years. And then obviously, you know, my older years went elsewhere. But during my younger years, my mum had remarried my stepfather, who unfortunately wasn't really, you know, the kind of stepfather that you would you would hope for. 
my brother's a lot older than me, so he didn't have the same childhood as me. You know, I was kind of six, he was 10, 11. By the time he was 13, he was nowhere to be seen. So I grew up with my stepfather and my mother when I was home from boarding school, but he had a very, very nasty, violent streak towards my mum. So I grew up with a lot of domestic violence and a lot of abuse. Again, fortunate in the sense that I wasn't around it every day. It was just, you know, half-term exiats, holidays. I was massively into horse riding as a child. I used to compete because my mum was also a, a dressage and just incredible with horses. So I actually used to go away quite a lot to pony camp just to really get away from what was obviously going on at home. And that continued, you know, into my teenage years when I was old enough to have enough money in the bank to move out and be able to really kind of look after myself. So, yeah, it wasn't the best childhood at a young age, but it's definitely now made me the person I am today. You know, the woman I am in business as a friend and also as a mother, just because of really, I suppose, the trauma that I had gone through. But also, you know, just being let down, I suppose, one by my stepfather and also my mum, I suppose, in a way, you know, you would hope that, you know, as a parent, you would be strong enough to walk away from those situations. But a lot of people don't for whether it's love, lust or insecurities, you know, she stayed with him for a number of years. So, but it's made me who I am now, you know, so I don't look at it in a bad way. I look at it, you know, as a positive way that I think you can either become a victim or you become a warrior. And I've definitely chose the uh, Wonder Woman warrior cap for sure. Do you think that it's an interesting point that you make around um, the thing that strikes me about what about your your mum's role mm. in all of that, the, the work ethic. Mm. I mean, there is oftentimes, I think, a perception that private education is something that is afforded people who are inordinately wealthy and it's a huge privilege, but I think often underestimated the sacrifices and the work that goes into for some to put their children's... I mean, it's an incredible example that your mum was evidencing that having had that, working three jobs to get you through that kind of that kind of situation. Do you think you, you'd gotten much of what I know to be a tremendous drive and work ethic that you've evidenced on for many reasons? Do you think that's partly what you've inherited from her maybe? Massively. I remember the, the day my father died. I remember I was actually at a birthday party and I remember my brother telling me. And I just remember from there that the fear of, I suppose, loss, but not in the sense of a loss of a, of a person, but just how your life can change so quickly. So a huge drive or huge fear of what I do is because of that. I never want to be in a position that I would rely on somebody to have such an impact on my life. So I'm now obviously a mum of two boys, six and five. And yeah, my fear is not working hard enough to be able to give them what they would need, you know, in the future, you know, from a stable point of view, just in case something had happened to me. And again, you know, my, my boys do go to private school and that's probably because of what my mum put me through, that it's that structure, that routine, that nurturing. My eldest, my six-year-old, he has diabetes. So it's even more critical that he's able to have, you know, a bigger team available. Obviously, that does come with an extra cost at the school because he has, a, has to have um, a full-time TA. So, you know, you're kind of playing two school fees for one child. But then I know in my heart when I drop him off in the morning, I'm going to see him that evening and he's going to come home well. But yeah, a lot of my drive definitely comes from the struggles that my mum went through. But then there's also sides of me that are quite closed that you know when I go and have Reiki or spiritual journeys they're like oh good god Simone your heart is so closed 
<laughs> so it has its negatives, you know, and that's probably why I've never been married and I run away from the altar. <laughs> um, but yeah, it does have its positives. And then obviously there's like all of us, we've all got insecurities, you know, and I know what they are. And I know, you know, like my mum used to call me an armadillo. She was like, you've got a very hard exterior, but inside you're actually quite soft and still quite childlike, which I am, you know, I can get, you know, I can be quite strong and dominant, you know, in a workplace, but behind closed doors, I can go quite shy, quite red, you know, and, and get embarrassed, which, you know, on the stage as such, you wouldn't think that of me, if that makes sense. Absolutely, it does. I think we all have, oftentimes, it's back to what we were talking about off air, in a way, is that people, there's a persona that comes with business when you're building a brand and we'll come on to that, but that as a consequence, people draw their own inferences, their own conclusions from what they see or what they think they see. And I think particularly with business, this is a bit of a broad sweeping statement, but oftentimes that sense of when you have your own business, you know, they, people look at what you've got as opposed to necessarily what you've achieved or what all the sacrifices that you will have made to have gotten you there. And mm, I think that's, true. we'll come on to that in yeah. due course. But, but what about the, the, Clearly, that's, I mean, it's a straight in. That's a hugely challenging childhood. That strikes me. You've gone through an awful lot of trauma. To escape from that, you mentioned, you mentioned horse riding, perhaps. Is it, what about things like, you know, the, the usual childhood teenage stuff, you know, posters on the wall? Who were the idols? Who were there? Who were the people that you, you looked up to? God, it's weird. You know what? I think because of what had gone on as a child, you you put a blanket over a lot of things. So if I was to say, or if you were to ask me, what's your first memory as a child? I couldn't really tell you many. I remember my father's funeral, um, mm. but there's not many other amazing childhood times or trips that I, you know, remember. I remember the trip to France, but again, that's because I've seen pictures that I'm like, actually, I do remember that. So, you know, obviously over the years when you go off to do, you know, business and, and just general counselling, they said it's because it's like your security blanket. You've kind of put a lid on it. And you don't really need to revisit it. But at, at school, we weren't allowed posters on the wall. You know, it was straight. We were allowed the cross. I think that was about it. And I used to remember, I used to get told off for sneaking sweets in and putting them in my Teddy Ruxpin uh, outfit and hiding them like in his bum. <laughs> it was really, really strict. So we weren't, we weren't allowed posters. But then I rebelled in my teenage years. So that's what happens sometimes. I think when you're told to reform in such a way, you do then rebel as a teenager. And, and then I got into things like raves and dance music and Helter Skelter. Not that many people are going to really know what I'm talking about, you know, and, and went down a bit of a, a wild journey. But I, music wise, you know, I grew up with like Nina Simone and Fats Waller and Enya. And my mum's house was always open, you know, the front door, the back door, there was always a party. And even though there was a lot of trauma, there was a lot of fun. So my mum was very much like the Ab Fab sketch. That was mine and her relationships. It was either love or hate. You know, everyone loved her, all my friends, my brother's friends. And I'm like, really? Like, do you want to swap your family? But there was a lot of fun, even though there was a lot of trauma. You know, there, there were times where, you know, the friends around her, you know, absolutely loved her. And they could see, you know, for whatever reason, you know, she decided to stay with my stepfather. That was her decision. But inside, you know, she she was a great person. And yeah, music wise, even now, you know, there's not much music that I don't like, but I was never really into posters. I actually asked for a briefcase one Christmas from my uncle. So that was quite an interesting request, apparently from such a young age. And I used to just sit in the corner and write ideas and draw ideas and lock them away in this 
black, you know, briefcase that he bought me from Salisbury many, many years ago. And I was more into definitely probably back then without realizing it, creating or entrepreneurial or just ideas or looking at things that didn't quite work and could be improved. And that's what I used to do, like always sketch and then lock my ideas away. That's interesting because you often hear, and indeed on through the podcast, I've met with people who've had entrepreneurial journeys and have had this sort of, there's a consistent theme throughout. There's something there in the childhood, whether that was buying sweets from the tuck shop at 10p and selling them for 12 or whatever. There is some kind of, you know, washing cars, the early paper. There's some kind of, I was going to find a way to do something, create something, make something, whether that was money ideas and it, whatever it might've been, there's a constant theme. And you found that even at a relative, from a, your own perspective at a young age, you had that where do you think that stemmed from, that sense of, if you like, that creativity? Where had that arisen? I don't know, because from a creative art point of view, I, can, I can't even draw a stick man. You know, so from an art side, I'm not creative. But I think it probably just came from, you know, my, my father had done really well from himself. So he came from uh, Blackwood in Gwent, you know, which was a, a coal mining area back in, you know, back in the day in Wales and didn't come from any money at all. But he had made himself and I remember he had the most beautiful Porsche and he had a six disc B&O system. So I remember, you know, from that age, those kind of memories that I was like, wow, you know, if you can have a six disc CD system, you've made it. And if you can have a car that's got all, all this glass, you've made it. And then now, you know, I love my cars and I went and bought a six disc B&O system, I think for my 25th birthday, because I was like, I can afford it and I've made it. <laughs> so I think it's come from seeing what he was like when I was younger and what he kind of looked like, you know, he, he looked like a BG, had curly ginger, crazy Welsh hair, but he was always really, really dressed well. And his family never had a bad word to say about him. So kind of growing up, you know, the stories that I would hear, you know, he would go to someone's house and their washing machine would, bro you know, be broken. Next minute, Michael was on the road. He'd gone somewhere bought a washing machine and he would like put it in the back of his car or whatever and get it to them. And I'm very much like that. I'll do anything for anybody. So I think it definitely kind of comes from such a young age, but at that age, you don't know, you know, mm. but you know, they say, don't they, in psychology between, I think it's two and 11, 75% of what's around you or you sense or you go through will make 75% of you as an adult. And then it's up to you which way you go down, you know, that path, whether it's a negative route or you turn a negative into a positive. So it's probably definitely stemmed from those younger years, I would say, because going to GCSEs and A-levels, I wasn't the brightest. I was on a like a physical level. So if there was something that I was really interested in or, you know, like design and technology or sports, I was number one. But when it came to physics and geography, I was like, I'm never going to use this in my later life. It doesn't interest me. So I kind of, you know, disconnected myself from it. So I obviously knew I needed to do something that was creative and not necessarily being told what to do. Because I always grew up with orders. You know, I went to such strict schools that I did, as I said earlier, kind of rebel and to the point that I was like, no one's going to tell me what to do ever again. Only I will, all those that I want to let in, you know, tell me as such as well. So what about your early career? What, what, when did working life, how did, how did that map out for you? Because we, I, I want to explore at some depth going into <laughs> your eventful. own businesses, but was it an eventful working life <laughs> yes. to start with? Been sacked, that's for sure, quite a few <laughs> times. So I went from, from Morven, I then went to Guildford. So I went to a naval school. So again, a lot of discipline, a lot of structure. And the kids that I was going to school with, you know, you had like 
princesses and again you know their parents were turning up with amazing cars and my mum would turn up with an old Subaru that had half the, the flooring missing you know it was a rust bucket and she'd probably turn up a day late and uh it just yeah from from a young age I didn't really know what I wanted to do I was going to go into the RAF or the Navy because I'd obviously gone to a naval school and my mum was kind of forcing me down that route because actually what had happened when I was 17 or maybe 16, as my mum found out, she had motor neurons disease. So she was trying to protect me from kind of at my GCSEs of trying to get me into something because she'd basically been given a year to live. So she was to the point of, okay, well, if you do your GCSEs, what is it that I can put Simone into that's going to be, you know, like a security blanket? So there was a huge push from her for the RAF and the Navy. I actually did go and do my exams for them both. I failed the first times because obviously it's, you know, maths and, and English and, and written. And then I then did go back again. And it was actually in Bournemouth, opposite the train station, if I remember rightly. There used to be an office there and that's where the exam was. I then did pass. And then I think it's about six months later, I was meant to go off and, and do training. But in that time, I'd met my first boyfriend called Matthew, long hair, BMW, real naughty, wild boy, DJ, everything that my mum would, you know, completely hate from the, the background that I'd had. And then I just got straight into work. I'd worked for a mobile phone company, a company called KJC, um, and had done so well there that I then got promoted to manager at Andover, was earning a lot of money on a weekly basis because we were paid weekly back then. So then I then got a want for money, for nice clothes, for going out. I bought my first property when I was 18, 19. I bought a two bedroom flat in Salisbury. And then I started to realize that I liked the telecom industry, not just mobile phones, like the tech industry. I had quite a great mathical mind, which obviously a lot of technology was kind of based on that. And from there, actually, it was my mum. She'd applied for a job for me at MCI Worldcom in Reading, which I actually did get the position. And then that kind of set me on my early career journey into kind of the telco world, learning about global sales, having, you know, three, five million pound a month targets and learning to, you know, blueprint and work on a 30, 60, 90 day plan. So again, very, very structured. But it was again, from my mum's side, it was a good career something to get into. My brother worked in telco as well for British telecoms. So again, it was a job that she had applied for him. So she was trying to protect us. And we've both gone on, you know, to do different things because she thought she only had a year to live. So she was trying to protect us the best that she could. And because she didn't have anything either to leave us, it was, okay, if I, you know, do pass away in six months, hopefully they're going to go on to have great careers. And, you know, my journey has changed with what I do now. But yeah, it was my mum that had pushed me into, you know, my industry and also my brother because of what she was going through home you touched on it briefly there perhaps as to what you might have learned from that mm. early that early career experience with the likes of worldcom the structure that w was one of the things that you mentioned but what do you do you feel gained from that early experience I think now owning a business, uh, you've got to have a purpose. You, you know, you can't, we, we talked about it earlier offline. You, you think you're going to get all this freedom 
by owning your own company. And in fairness, you actually don't. Okay, yes, you're able to go for lunch and, you know, work on your phone, but you have to turn up every day. Even when you're unwell, you still have to show up. It's not, oh, I'm not coming in today because I know I'm going to get paid. And the world that we live in now, people expect a reply within 10 minutes, an hour. They won't wait three, four days, even bank holidays. You know, people Mm -hmm. still expect a reply. And it's just helped me in planning and looking at, you know, issues that occur. What is it that I want to achieve? Each day rolls into one. I mean, this year has gone so quickly. And if you don't have, you know, things written down of what you would like to achieve in, you know, kind of by quarters, really, literally, you know, you're in the third quarter and you think, well, actually, I've not done half of what I wanted to achieve. So it's distilled that into me that, I literally, at the beginning of the week, I will write down 15 things that I want to get done that week. And I will literally try to do five a day. If I do three, then that's a really, really good day. Where in the past, I would write a list and do 20 things, but I was getting two done a day. You know, my business mentor I had at the time, he was like, you're putting yourself under too much pressure, Simone. There's no way that you can get this to-do list as such done. You just need to pick two or three things and do it well. And then the next day, pick two or three things. And I've noticed, you know, the growth, what we're doing, what I'm doing, how I feel, the freedom that I have is so much more active compared to putting myself under so much pressure to do so much on a daily basis. How did you feel about the, let's say you've got those 10 things on a list, right? mm. whatever the number might have been, how did you ever feel about the ones that you didn't tick off? They would roll on for weeks, yeah. if not months, you know, and then you forget about them. And then, you know, six months later and, you know, even now, you know, I, like when we met the other week, you know, and we spent a couple of hours together, I go to my phone and there's 90, a hundred emails, you know, and it's great. And then some of them I read, unread. You know, and then it will take me a month to to actually reply where really I should just reply to them. And there was a lady, actually, I went to a yoga retreat a couple of years ago in Ibiza and she headed up a big beverage company. And the way that she worked, I was like, wow, one day I'm going to be that organized. Every email she replied to, she then just deleted it where I've got, I don't know, 157,000 emails, you know, all in, in, in different folders. She's like, I've replied. I delete it. If they reply, great. She's like, I don't need it. And I was like, wow, I'd like to get to that point one day that I could literally reply and not have to keep it or keep it as an unread email. And I think that gives you freedom. You know, that feeling of opening your laptop and there's zero emails in your inbox is, you know, the nicest feeling. It's a bit like having a cleaner in your house and you come home and the house is immaculate. It's that nice feeling, definitely. How did you find, because the thing that struck me about the the schooling and education that you'd experience would be the the structure and the discipline, even though there's there's clear, perhaps you've alluded to it, there's a sense of wanting to rebel or to break out of those those confines. But I guess again, you then go into corporate life, you you also have that same degree of structure and discipline and reports and deadlines. And and yes, you have all of those things in your own business, but you at what point did you start to feel the constraints or the shackles, if you like, of the big corporate empire? I I think it came down to when there was policies in the sense that you didn't agree with or not being able to have a voice or, you know, you work in a team and you realize that some people just aren't working as a team. Or if you get a manager that just is not performing and you know that actually you could do a better job than them. I'm a very vocal person, you know, and it had got me in trouble a few times in HR, <laughs> not going to lie. So it's, yeah, so that's why in the end, you know, I decided to do my own thing because I would look at people and, you know, I would just be like, you're an idiot. 
like seriously, like, you know, it's us lot that are doing your job for you, and, you know, and they get paid an absolute fortune and they've got the corporate car and, and they just abuse their power, you know, and back then it was a very male dominant industry. There wasn't many women in the sales force or whatever. I think out of a team of 24, I think there was three women, you know, but we had great fun. Like, you know, we used to, we used to travel and, and, and great shows and events, but the men that were in, in charge, like the VPs, they'd been there for years and they weren't going anywhere, no matter what went on, you know, at parties or whatever, they were protected. And I think they're probably still there to this day. Um, and they had power, you know, and as long as you were hitting your target, you had never had any issues, but the minute you weren't performing or, you know, something wasn't going their way, then you were obviously pulled into the office. And eventually I remember taking voluntary redundancy because I thought I want to start doing something for myself and wasn't too sure what that was, which then obviously brought me down here with everything that had gone on at home because my mum had passed away, that I just thought, you know what, I just need to do something for me and not do something for somebody else. And I know that I could do it better, even though it's a completely different industry now I work in. I just knew I'd be better doing my own thing than working for a nine to five. And, and where did the the inspiration, so wellness as a concept will come on to, I'm interested yeah. in, in your view of that, but as I understand it initially, it was hair. Yes. So, yeah. to, so tell us about how that, how did that come about? Yeah. So I actually lost my hair or part of it, not complete boldness as such in my early twenties. So I brought out a book last year and in the opening chapters, I was completely honest with how I found out about an illness that I had had. So I'd met my long-term ex-partner, a guy called Stuart, and uh, it is a funny story. So my name's obviously Simone Thomas. His surname was Durant. And anyway, you meet as you do. And I, anyway, I ended up catching an STD from him, but because I I had caught that, I then found out that I had quite aggressive cervical cells that had turned cancerous. But because the age that I was, I wasn't of an age that they would have done a smear test. So I remember going, I remember then sitting down with him and saying, you know what, we've been together six weeks and something isn't quite right. I just feel a little bit funny, you know, down below. And he just looked at me and he was like, oh, I, yeah, I've got something to tell you. And I was like, what? And he said, after my ex, my long-term ex, there was a girl in Henley, but don't worry because she was really posh. So you're going to be fine. And I was like, well, they're probably the worst ones, the posh girls, <laughs> especially from Henley. Um, I'm joking. If anyone's from Henley listening. <laughs> um, so I went to the doctor doctors that came back unfortunately that I'd caught an STD but also luckily the nurse was like well because you are sexually active even though you know I think I was 21 22 and I think the age bracket then was probably 25 or 27 for smears back then she was like let's just you know do a smear and luckily she did because I was called in within two weeks to then go up to um, the Berkshire Hospital in Reading to basically have a loop excursion I had quite a bit of my cervix removed and then for 10 years from that I had to have have smears on a, every six months to a yearly basis. But because I became very, very unwell from it, I had an infection, I'd lost a lot of blood, then became very, very anemic. They then found out I had an issue with B12, which is something completely different. I lost so much weight that I started to lose my hair just because Goodness. my body had gone through trauma. And now knowing what I do, you know, I wasn't probably eating correctly. My mum was still alive, but she wasn't very well. I wasn't really getting on with her either because of, you know, issues with my stepfather. So I had basically moved to Reading to basically get away from them. I basically, you know, packed up my house and moved. So I went through it really on my own with, with my new partner at the time. And we'd gone to Dubai 
because he'd been offered an opportunity because he also worked at MCI Worldcom. I had left at that point to potentially go out to Dubai to work. So we went out there on a holiday and I just remember it coming out in the shower, like literally, you know, I, I call it kind of, it looks like a spider when you're washing your hair and the hair gets stuck in your hands. Um, and then I literally had started to lose my hair in Dubai. My brows went and it looked like somebody had come along with an old wax strip, like a legs wax strip that women use and had just literally taken the front of my hair away. And then a couple of like large 50 pence pieces around the back of my neck and wigs back then, you know, we're talking 20 years ago are more Halloween wigs. There wasn't, you know, great wig shops unless you were willing to go to London and, you know, you had a few thousand pounds to spend, which, you know, in my early 20s, who has 500 pounds spare in their bank account, let alone two, three, four thousand pounds. So I had gone through a real personal journey in my 20s of wearing wigs, wearing volumizers, glued on systems, systems that are integrated with a weave. And it was only really when I was 31, 32 that my hair started to grow back. And I've now got the hair that I've got today as we're here. But through that, because I was doing the job that I was doing, I also was a model as well. So I used to have to wear a lot of wigs. And in the end, you know, my mother passed away when I was 27. I, it was literally, it's like, right, Simone, what are you doing with your life? And I was on a self-destruct, you know, I was partying continuously in London just because I suppose of what was going on with my mum, obviously my own insecurities, turned 27, came to Dorset for six months to spend time with my brother and then ended up staying here. And then that's how I got into originally kind of health and wellness from a hair loss perspective, from, you know, a nutrition, from trichology. I opened a, a clinic down here that originally was really for women for confidence. So it wasn't even to start with anything to do with hair loss. It was mainly women that don't know how to do their makeup for an interview, or maybe they've coming from a domestic relationship and, you know, want to knew them. But it just, it just grew within six months. You know, we were working with the local NHS. We started to work with a lot of transgenders that were transitioning and just wanted a place to come for support or, you know, to try on their new outfit and to see what makeup would look like on them. And then I remember just waking up one day and I was like, God, this is actually could be a really good business if I, you know, get my head down and actually create like a proper business plan. And that's now been going, you know, 10, 11 years, you know, and it got bigger and bigger. My team got bigger. I then decided to requalify in nutrition, in hair loss, teams of specialists around me, and then really have spent the last 12, 13 years <clears throat> researching and working, you know, with trusts and charities and hospitals around the UK and now even abroad. But it comes from a real personal place, my first journey with hair, because of what I went through in my 20s. And it's weird because I kind of, not that I don't remember it, but I don't, there's not kind of part of my day-to-day -day life now as such, but that's how, you know, my journey definitely started and is now led me to where I am today. And that must have been, I'd imagine, and not to make any assumptions, mm. but I'd imagine that the impact that that has on you from a mental health perspective at that age, particularly, well, you know, we hear all sorts of, a lot, a lot of conversations take place around male baldness, yeah. Yeah. you know, because it's a common thing, yeah. right? A lot of guys lose their hair, but my sense is, and this is just my, my feeling, but my sense is that that's not a conversation that is a common conversation, I'd imagine, when it comes to women and hair loss. That's, it strikes me that that's, if not unusual in terms of the, the actual hair loss itself, but, but actually the discussion around it isn't something that I suspect is hugely prevalent. So it must have been, where do you go, where, how do you even start to understand 
how you can resolve some of these. And it's a huge challenge, it strikes me. I, I, would, I don't even know where you'd begin. It is. It's, um, I mean, even now, you know, 41, you're still scarred from it as such. Yeah, so, I can imagine. You know, I know, like in the past, you know, it's like when people come into me, you know, we used to call it your crowning glory. Yes. And it, it doesn't matter, you know, what house you're pulling up in front of, what car you drive, how much money you've got in the bank. If you've got the latest Chanel handbag or whatever as a woman, if your hair's not right and you used to have, you know, beautiful hair, and the same for men now because men are talking up a lot more, it knocks your confidence. And as a woman, you know, when a woman walks in the room, naturally people will look at your hair where, you know, women look differently, you know, when a guy walks in the room because, you know, you have got people like Jason Statham and women very, like bold very men handsome and bold men. whatever. Absolutely. But for a woman to walk in the room with either very, very thinning hair you know, or a bad hair colour or a bad haircut or no hair, people do gasp, you know, and some people want to have their hair shaved because they're going for that look, but people do stare and they still stare now, even though it's talked about a lot more in the press and, you know, celebrities have come forward about the wigs that they wear and, you know, you've even got the likes of like John Travolta that's recently in the last couple of years admitted that he does wear a hair system, you know, but again, it's his confidence that everyone expected him to have this amazing forehead of hair like he did back in the day in Greece and you know and to look a certain way that it does affect you and I think it will always affect you it's like a mental scar and it's like all of us it's what you see in the mirror is very different to what other people see whether that's a positive or a negative it's a scar you know and I in the past wouldn't go to parties if my hair wasn't quite right or if I couldn't get booked in for a blow dry or if I didn't have hair extensions and it's weird how it will still stop you and it can still stop me now I know that sounds a weird thing to say because I've still got, you know, I've got a full head of hair. But if my hair's not right, I literally feel like I did kind of all those years ago. And then I have to pick myself up and think, God, Simone, you know, you've got people coming in your clinic today that are about to have a head shave because they're about to go through cancer treatment. Or, you know, I've had recently a young girl that got attacked by a dog and she's had basically the front of her scalp and everything ripped off that we've now had to create a hair system through to her teenage years and her adult life, you know, through the courts. And you just kind of have to give yourself a slap really and say, you know what, there's a lot worse out there. Like there is with every situation. But, but when you've relative, been through it, right? it is, it is. And when you've been through it, it you're never going to wake up and not remember it ever, no matter what it is that you've gone through, any trauma or any hair loss or anything at all that can affect your body on a, on a physical level where people are able to see it, if that makes sense. Absolutely it does. I mean, the thing that strikes me is that I've, I've often had this conversation, having a sense of knowing what your purpose is, knowing your why, if you like. It's Simon Sinek, know your why. But that there's clearly a very compelling purpose from your own personal experiences that I'd imagine drive a lot of what, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could go into around the psychology of what drives you. But that's clearly a very deeply personal experience that you'll relate. Thank you for relaying it. But I think if you then reflect through to the early days of business and to your point you're there kind of thinking actually there might just be something in this was there a sort of eureka moment was there a pivotal moment if you like where you thought we really are onto something this is this, this has real prospect yeah I think when poor hospital called us from the cancer ward department to ask us if we were able to kind of I suppose improve what we were doing in regards to kind of wigs and, and systems there you know there was a, there was a wig shop I think it was in House of Fraser or Beals but again it was limited for the younger 
audience, which, you know, not necessarily, I'm not going to say back in the day, but 10, 15 years ago, cancer was looked at as an illness that it was an older person. Yeah. It wasn't a 20 year old having breast cancer. You know, it wasn't a 17 or 18 year old having cervical cancer. And the wigs back then were very, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire, very, very old. Now they're incredible, you know, that they look real, they're like real scalp systems. You can color them, blow dry them. You just treat them as your own and you can attach them in, in various ways. And I remember that email and then a meeting and I was like, actually, yeah, I, I know we can because I wear incredible hair systems myself. So again, reached out, we created our own partnership with a factory abroad and we started to manufacture our own hair units. And it literally just grew and grew that I don't come from a hairdressing background. I'm not trained in color. I can't even blow dry my hair on the best of days. But I then had to create a team of professionals. You know, I was good in business and I knew how to run the business. And I had the passion for learning about what was going on in somebody's body that maybe was coming in from a hair loss because of trauma or an illness. And it just grew from there. But it, it was because of Paul Hospital and them reaching out to me originally and asking what other services that we do could work or, you know, be aligned with them. And the minute we started to improve what we were doing, we were then working, you know, with referrals from Bournemouth, Southampton, Guildford, London. And I think within the first three years, I had somebody that came from Dubai. I didn't know who they were. And then I got an honorary award after treating them for hair loss. They then kind of told me who they were. And I thought it was a bit of a joke at first because you don't really have those things in the UK. And I remember, you know, within the first three years, I thought, wow, I really have made a difference to a lot of people. But that one individual stood out because they weren't even 21 at the time, but they actually looked probably 40, 50 because the amount of boldness that they'd had and just by giving them hair, the difference that it had made to them and then followed from that was a, an honorary award from, you know, their local embassy because of who they were for what I had done for them. And, you know, I'm still in contact with them now, 10 years on, and they still come in, you know, see us when they're in the UK and come have treatment and, and stuff as well. And it's, yeah, even now it's, it's really rewarding. I don't deal with people generally now on a day-to-day -day basis because, you know, I've got a team of 17 and I've gone off to own a, a different business that, that kind of links. But yeah, the, you know, the satisfaction I get from seeing the before and afters or the letters that we get sent or the presents and the emails is incredible. And it's mad how hair can have such an effect and change someone's life, you know, for the better, if we're able to, to help them. We don't think about it when you're fortunate, like yourself, you've got an incredible head of hair. It's not something that you would even, you know, you would even think about on a daily basis. But for many, it can, yeah, it really can knock your confidence massively. If you reflect back on those early days in, in business, the early, the early mm. part of your business, if you like, is there anything that you would do differently? Yeah, quite a lot, actually. I suppose at the very beginning, it, it was the team, you know, the, the team I had at the start, if it wasn't for them, I have, I would I've got where I am now. I probably would have, I think I would have been a lot stricter, not try and be their friends. And I've learned that now that, you know, you, you have to be the boss. You can't be going out with them partying Friday, Saturday nights in Bournemouth or Southampton. You can't be both. And I remember trying to put structure in place about 18 months into having the business with contracts because a lot of them were self-employed because they had their own other businesses going. And when we tried to put HR in place, they all rebelled and kicked off because they didn't want 
that kind of structure, even though they were employed, but they just didn't want to be told, you know, you must be in at quarter to nine in the morning to set up and you don't leave until everything's done. That I think, yeah, definitely not to be involving myself on a personal level with staff was probably one of my biggest mistakes, you know, at a younger age when I set the business up because now, you know, the, the team that I've got, they've been with me seven, eight years, our Christmas parties, I'll stay till 10 o'clock and then I go and then everything else is paid for for them. But they'll go off to do what they want to do. I'm not involved. They don't see me drunk. And if I want to go out drinking, I'll go meet some friends or I'll go out with the manager who's also a good friend of mine. But when it comes to kind of staff in general, it's, you know, we talked about it earlier working in the corporate world. I separate myself and I'd probably say that was my biggest learning curve that you can't, in that environment, you can't have friends as staff. You can if they leave, but you can't have that environment that you're going out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, partying like a 21-year-old. <laughs> so at what point did, did you evolve, if you like, from, from I say, just hair? I mean, it's an enormous undertaking and it's yeah. great work that you do, but what was the evolution? What was the story behind it? So I have two boys, a six and a five-year-old, but because of what I'd gone through in my 20s, I got told it putting me very, very difficult or, you know, hard for me to conceive. So from a, from a child point of view, I never had a want to then have children. In, in fairness, I probably hadn't even dealt with that news. I just thought, ugh, children, couldn't think of anything worse. It was like the child catcher. Oh, chitty, chitty, bang, bang. I was like, oh, they're horrible anyway. I don't want them. Um, and then I actually fell pregnant and it was a huge wake-up call. I was like, oh, I imagine that's a, God. a shock, a real it shock. It was, it was. I mean, it, that um, pregnancy didn't actually work out, but it was that realisation of actually maybe this is something I want. But then obviously all my childhood things started coming up about how my mum was and how she wasn't maybe strong enough to walk away from my stepfather and, you know, the hate and the anger that I had towards her of being, you know, like I'd been let down really because everybody wants their parents around and the fact that my father had passed away and I only had my mum, her choice in men was just horrific and you just think good god like if you're going to do something like at least pick a good one <laughs> and I remember you know I, I, I fell pregnant and obviously it, it didn't work out and it was there that I thought actually I think I do know what I want to do you know I, I do want to be a mum and it changes you and then I, I then you know did eventually fall pregnant again and everything changed you know everything changed because my boy's father he got diagnosed with a brain tumour and then he was Goodness. unwell in a coma and he had a lot of health issues. And I know that the brain and gut connection, you know, the effects that nutrition can have. He's got a forehead of hair, but his hair was starting to shred on the sofa. He was suffering with, with so many things going on with tiredness, exhaustion, with body tremors and shakes at night that my journey with kind of what I was doing with hair loss took a completely different turn that he was so unwell that I then needed to do something really for him because, you know, I, I just had a baby. I didn't obviously want their father to, to die or anything to happen to him. And it came from there. It came from helping him, but because of the medication that he was on, a lot of people in my clinic that I would treat were also on the same medication for other illnesses, but suffering with skin conditions, with tiredness, with either, you know, not being able to put on weight and just poor diet and lifestyle that when I then had done a kind of six year survey of everybody that had come through our doors, their age, what their issues were, because on our medical forms, we would ask a lot of questions. So much came apparent that diet and lifestyle 
were big issues, you know, sleep, not enough exercise, not necessarily having the right vitamins or supplements or not being aware of what's in our labels and, you know, what things are lurking, that then I decided to qualify as a nutritionist. So when I was pregnant with Ashton, I got my head down in the books and did a a diploma. And then from there, it just kind of grew and grew my want, my knowledge. And also from a personal level, because Ashton was born, he was a a huge baby, (laughs) really, really long. And then you try and do the right things for your children. You know, he had really, really bad eczema. I wasn't able to breastfeed him. He wasn't able to go into normal formula. He had to go on to something called Neocoat, which was a prescription formula. It's disgusting. I then went and saw a specialist in London that put us on to goat's formula. And then I started to learn about different proteins and how our, you know, food can affect us. And he looked like a burns victim. His skin was so bad that from there, from him struggling and seeing how bad his skin was in his immune system, it came from a really personal place that I then created what I now have, which is Simone Thomas Wellness. And it all stemmed from originally gut health and probiotics for for his father, but also for Ashton on a smaller level as a child. And then over, you know, since 2017 to now, you know, it's just grown, you know, as a concept. And then it became a brand. And then I went away and worked with a couple of labs and formulating. And now it's become, you know, obviously what it is now, which we'll, we'll probably talk about in a moment. But yeah, it came from a really personal place of what was going on at home with their father. And then also my other son, William, he nearly died at two weeks old from a horrific virus. And that caused a lot of stomach issues. So again, at the moment, I'm working on children's supplements and vitamins that will be launching next year. But also their father had a really horrific seizure in 2019, I think it was. And we, I got told that he'd be lucky to come out alive. And if he does, he's probably going to be in a wheelchair and probably not even going to be able to, to talk. And because he's a very, very strong character, a big surfer, he pulled through, you know, and then he ran the London Marathon the year later for Paul Hospital. So he's a bit of a gladiator as much as, you know, I I, I could kill him at times. Yeah, that there was something in him that he was never going to give up. But I remember that day thinking, good God, I've got two boys under the age of two. I've got three clinics. I've got 40 odd staff. How the bloody hell am I going to do this with no family, no support? I had a nanny, but obviously that was, you know, at a cost. And I just remember, yeah, that day it was like, right, this is survival mode now. What is it that I've got to do to protect my family, to get him home and rebuild him and to also protect my business and and start doing what I want to do? And I let go of Wokingham. I let go of Harley Street because I just couldn't do it, you know, and I was knackered, I was tired. Um, and I realized my boys were actually the most important thing to me. And I think as a mum, when I had them, I went straight back to work the next day. And I realized that was probably one of my biggest mistakes as a mum of not taking that time out to spend with them. I literally took them in the baby carrier and went to work because it was the most important thing for me. But now I've completely changed, you know, they come way before absolutely anything you know even if it's a global award or something I'll just be like I'm sorry you know my kids are more important but it took that trauma and that lesson to realize that actually slow down because as you know they grow up so quickly children and you can't get the younger years back and they are the most incredible years even though it's hard and you want to kill them and when they're fighting yeah it is something very very special that I realized to I've got to slow down in business. So tell us about Simone 
e-commerce wellness. What does what does the brand do? What do you do? What does the business deliver? Yeah. So I requalified in nutrition and from there I developed a range of products. So a probiotic, which is great for your immune system, for hormonal balance. Then because of our day-to-day stresses and acids and things that are in our food, there was basically five supplements that I formulated. It took about two and a half years. It was about £950,000 it cost me to, to get it to where it is today. So it's not something that you can just do overnight. You know, it's come from a real place of what I want to do long term. So within the range currently, there's probiotics, super greens, products for hair loss, for skin health, for sports recovery. We've got two new products launching in November, an incredible protein formula for women of all ages, but mainly for women that have issues with fertility, polycystic, menopause, endometriosis, or even, you know, when it's their monthly cycle, just very, very painful because for some women it can just be a really uncomfortable, you know, thing to go through. So that launches in November as well as um, an incredible skin oil for us older women in our 40s. (laughs) Um, So that launch which is literally in a couple of months time. But since 2019, when the products actually launched um, originally in Harvey Nichols, yeah, there was five products that I'd had. Lockdown has obviously occurred. So all new product developments been, you know, slightly delayed. And that's why the new products are now coming out this year, because a lot of the labs, the, you know, everything that I needed, the clinics were closed for testing for consumer trials. So we're kind of a, you know, a good 18 months behind where I wanted to be. But it all comes from things that I use things that I want to improve and things that I notice on a day-to-day basis that a lot of people can benefit from. The brand itself, we have won probably best part of 35 awards. We won the Independent Indie Best this year, 2022. We won it last year, 21. And then we've won other awards like Marie Claire Awards. Uh, The products are vegan certified, Soil Association certified, the, the collagen that we use is is marine protected. So everything I do is trying to do it in the most protected way from an environmental factor, but also in regards to, you know, our packaging and our ink and our warehouse, everything is on like sustainable energy or biodegradable ink. And so it's all about the long term because I'm a massive, you know, forest and ocean person. And because I have two boys that love to surf, it's all about sustaining, you know, their future and and being mindful about what we're using as a company and, and what's going in our products and stuff as well. So what excites you? I mean, there's so many questions that stem from that, but the one that sticks out for me is that you talk about it. Understandably, it comes from a position of of great personal drive and experience painful personal experience but that you you know you can literally can I'm a, i have the benefit of looking at you across a room that sees you <laughs> your eyes light up <laughs> you just sparkle you come to life when you yeah. talk about it and it, that passion really comes through in your voice so what the question that springs to mind is what excites you about the future for simone thomas wellness so recently you know because of lockdown you do doubt yourself as a business owner especially when it's a a sales product is a product that needs sales and value. You kind of think, good God, you know, am I doing the right thing? You know, I've invested a lot of money personally and I have two boys to protect. And is it worth me investing more of my money or am I onto something? And that changed this year. So now, you know, we're partnered with Superdrug. We're on the Debenhams platform. We're in Humanary. We're on Feel Unique. We've got some other big stockist names, which unfortunately I can't tell you what they are in the UK, but we are launching into America and Canada next month. So I've just had the warehouses just been finished. And if I 
in January saw where I am now, I wouldn't believe it. So it's been two hard years because of lockdown, you know, 2020, 2021, gone through a breakup. So you do doubt yourself in all areas of your life. But also I had to protect myself as well of, you know, do I want to keep pushing myself in business where like any business, there's a risk that it might not work or you're not going to get to where, you know, you what you want to achieve. So I had to have a real step back end of last year and kind of, you know, call my team in and say, you know, what are we all going to commit to? And are we going to hit those commitments? And how are we going to go about it for me to realize that actually, I do believe in them and I've got the right team around me. So yeah, I mean, at the moment to be in America, to be launching in Canada is huge. You know, it's my American market, because it's such a big country, is already bigger than my UK market. And I'm known in the UK. So that's a huge, you know, amazing thing because I haven't physically gone out there yet to meet the press or have the meetings. But already, you know, the growth that we've had in the last seven, eight months in America has been huge. And it just came off the back of an article that I was in last year, a very well-known lady in the UK, who's the CEO of a global clothing brand, just mentioned me and that she'd met me at at this wellness retreat and what I had done for her kind of skin and her headaches. And from there, I mean, America literally started doing eight to 10,000, you know, unique customers a month um, from our UK site, you know, and, and they're having to pay to get the products over there. So my plan for America wasn't really till 2023, 24, but America's taken over, you know, a huge part of what I do that I was like, actually, I need to take that risk and and invest in a team out there. So I've got a team of nine agents, sales reps, got a warehouse. We've got plans to go into the likes of Saks and Macy's and the Whole Foods store. So we are going to become a household name. You know, there's other products that we've got in the pipeline, but yeah, we will be, you know, I hope one of those brands that people like if you mentioned cod liver oil or you know or whatever or a brand like coca-cola or iphone people are going to know what simone thomas wellness is and that's kind of our goal by 2024 that you know america canada australia new zealand europe uk and asia we've already got quite a bit of um customers and, and stuff in japan and other areas but yeah it's to become a global brand and there's other things i want to do i want to become a b corporation as well so that's a real personal thing for me and then there's obviously you know an exit plan for when i'm 50 so i've got eight years so and i know what i'd like to achieve by then and then what i'd like to go on to do and stuff as well fantastic so I also want to talk about writing. Yes. There's a book, <laughs> Not bad so, for a dyslexic. <laughs> so there's, there's, a, there's a book in there, right? Yes, yeah, there is. Uh, you know, yeah. An Amazon bestseller. Yes, yeah. I'm hugely envious, which is never a great quality to evidence, but I think you know, <laughs> there's, there's many a person that feels there's a book in there somewhere. Yeah. I'd be chief amongst them, but never never realised that. So tell me, writing a book, where'd you start? How do you, how do you go about writing a book? It came from literally traveling up and down the, the the motorway to Harley Street to Wokingham to the clinic here and I was repeating myself constantly for years people would come in they'd have skin issues they were tired they weren't happy they had issues with their hair their scalp you know within 10 minutes of meeting them you could literally just say I know what's wrong with you but who wants to be told that in 10 minutes so you'd obviously get 90 minutes as a consultation and I kept finding on the days of paperwork and the feedback I literally was repeating myself probably 95% of the time, you know, people would have to do a five day food diary to come in and see me. So straight away, you can see what someone's lifestyle's like through their food. 
what time they're going to bed, how much water they're drinking, are they exercising, you know, and how many people would have digestive biscuits for breakfast with a cup of tea or a bowl of Kellogg's Special K. And you'd be like, right, okay, let's talk about what's in these foods. So it came from literally just seeing people continuously, all with very, very similar issues, you know, and a lot of us are tired or, you know, from a women's point of view, struggling with fertility as well as other stuff as well, that it just came from me constantly repeating myself that I was like, right, I need to put what I would say day to day into a book, but say it in such a way that it's like your best friend. So we never give ourselves the best advice, but we know the advice is in us. And it takes your best friend or a stranger to kind of give you that slap around the face to say, come on, you know this, you know, and it's kind of the best advice that they would give back to you. And that's where it came from. So I literally broke everything that I would talk about within a a clinic appointment, whether it was the foods in their cupboards, their diet, their lifestyle, relationship with themselves, past relationships, what their relationships are like at home. Are they married? You know, what is it that they're going through? It's got things to do with, you know, meditating, journaling, giving yourself time, creating like a 30, 60, 90 day plan. And all of us do that in January. I'm going to sign up to the gym and I'm going to have a six pack at, you know, the summer and I'm going to look the best in the bikini and it goes out the window in four weeks. So it gets someone each chapter to kind of do a review or try this because otherwise we overwhelm ourselves as humans to try and do too much too soon. So you can read the book within a couple of days. It's an easy read or you can read it and then leave it in the toilet and then just literally pick up a couple of pages and think, right, I'm going to work on that today. But it is literally the best advice that I would give a stranger, a best friend or someone in the clinic, as well as what I do, you know, with my daily habits and how I've gone through having two children, hair loss, endometriosis and all the other things that I've gone through. It's just really my best advice in a way that you'll be able to understand it without us talking about atoms and particles in the body and things that most people would be I don't get this. And then you've kind of lost them. But no, it did well. It went to Amazon number one within 24 hours. I found out yesterday from my agent, I'm up for an award in Australia for the book, which is huge, which is incredible. And then we've got a road show with the book in January and February in America. So yeah, so from little old me that was pretty bad at school with dyslexia and having to write bed as remembering which way my B's and D's would go, I've done really, really well. I have obviously had to have it, you know, proofread and and checked and, and corrected. But I just spoke as I would do to anybody in a clinic with, you know, fun and love and passion. And just put that into the book. What do you think you gained from that book writing experience? I want to do more, definitely. I'm I'm now not scared to write. Because you write as well for magazines, don't you? I do, I do. So yeah, I, I write for three magazines currently. But we we probably write 45 articles a month. So I think yesterday, um, Natalie, my agent, I think we were at 470 million readers this month already in articles that we've written for the press so it's it's huge and I mean that's international and I love what I do I mean you know I'll get a question and I won't give a simple answer you know it'll just be we need a paragraph and I'm like no this needs four pages and it's the passion and then I think well actually you know the journalists or you know the magazines or the newspapers that you're writing for they keep coming back to me every single day that now my agent now works for me full time. Literally, she writes as my voice. We work together daily because we are constantly being asked on a day to day basis, you know, internationally for pieces or answers to to things that are going on. And it's not even about supplements. It could be like yesterday I was on the radio to do with the sugar tax. 
you know, and, and my views and opinion on that, which are quite strong because obviously Ashton's got diabetes. But yeah, anything that could affect how you feel, how you live, diet, lifestyle, wellness, hair, skin, gut supplements, we write about on a daily basis. And I really enjoy it. I really, really do. All of which begs the question, how do you unwind? Right. So the thing that I'm sat here thinking is, yeah. going, wow. So this is a, you're a full-time mum. Yeah. Young children are demanding. <laughs> yeah. uh, great fun, but yeah. not without it's their challenges. Yeah. It's hard work. Yeah. Uh, you've got burgeoning business, mm. businesses, yeah. which demand different skills at different times. Sounds like you've got a fabulous team, but that, yeah. that requires management. Yeah. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so there's only 24 hours in the day. How do you unwind? Yeah. Do you unwind? How do you relax? What do you do to escape it all? Can you escape it all? I think I can. My Reiki massage will say, how nice when your body is ready to explode. <laughs> I literally, she's like, whoa. She's like, Jesus, I think I need a day off after seeing me. I don't feel stressed. And I think I cope being busy, if that makes sense. There's, there's not much that can be thrown at me that makes me feel unstressed or I'm very good of waking up the next day and I'm like, right, that happened yesterday. Today's a new day. I don't waste time watching TV for the sake of watching TV. If I'm honest, I will watch, you know, really good documentaries and movies, but I just don't waste time, you know, and it's something I say to people, you know, we've all got the same 24 hours. It's up to you how you choose to spend it. I do have a lot of freedom. So, you know, I'll do the school run. I'll go to a coffee shop. I'll take my laptop. I don't have to be in an office daily. That's my freedom. So I, it's kind of two questions in one, which is never good. But the thing that struck me is perhaps who might be, have been the, who do you think has been the greatest influence on your career? That's probably the better question that springs to mind. I think probably myself. Mm. There's not anybody as such out there that I think, wow, I want to emulate you or I want to do what you do. Or I want to have what you have. There's been, I think people, you know, whether it's in government or Joe Wicks or Jamie Oliver in, in different industries that you look up to and you think, yeah, what you're saying I agree with and that's, you know, what's in me. But I would say it, it comes from me. It comes from a real personal place and it comes from now I'm a mum. I'm never going to let my children down in the sense of if something happens to me tomorrow, I know that they're going to be well looked after. And this actually came up in January. I had to interview a friend that now is my global account manager. And when she was interviewed, by some of the external people, they said to me, why, why her? And I said, if I was in an accident tomorrow and for whatever reason I was in a coma for six days or six months, I would wake up and I would be proud of what she had done and what she went on to achieve. And yeah, it's, she's got the same passion and I've got a lot of her friends that are also female entrepreneurs. And it's weird because they always say to me, we aspire to just be like you, Simone, you know, but I don't see it. But they're like, you are a mum. You've got a, you know, a child that's really, really unwell. You're on your own. You know, you've got a team, but I still show up every day. I still am me. I never have a bad day. I mean, obviously I do, but my mum always told me to leave that at the door. You don't let people see that that work for you. You you turn up to the office, you turn up to the meeting with a smile on your face. You don't bring your personal problems to the table. You deal with that outside. And and I think that's, you know, comes from me. So I think it's down to me, really, of, of what I do, that there's not one individual that I say they've been the biggest influence. I have a great team around me of all ages. I've got an amazing business mentor, a guy called Jonathan, who's been in, you know, the cosmetic industry for 35, 40 years. He's taught me a lot 
you know, in a short period of time. And he's taught me to stand up for myself and to pull away from, you know, external companies that I might use or third parties and, and start to believe in myself a lot more. And, you know, and I've seen that transition in the last 18 months with changes that I've made in the business that, you know, I come from a sales background, you know, I came from doing 10, 15 million pounds a month in sales. So if I could do that for a company, why the hell am I not doing it for me? And that's one of the huge things I learned last year that actually, Simone, this is in you, you've just forgotten that that's where you started. And since I've made those changes, I mean, it's just, it, it went crazy by four, five, 600%. And it was all down to me and then building a new team and giving direction that the team I have now, they're like me. They don't need me to be ringing them daily. And that's one of the really key things of anybody that comes and works for me. It's, I'm not going to hold your hand. You work like it's your own. Come to me, you know, with the issue, but come to me with the, the you know, the issue resolved don't come to me and get me to fix it because I'm not going to do it for you, you know, and that's hard to find, you know, with a team. But yeah, it, it comes from having a great team around me for sure. So what advice would you give your 21-year-old self? Don't get married. Luckily I haven't. <laughs> no, 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 I'm joking. Oh, do you know what? It's a hard one because every 10 years in your life, there's always something that goes on, isn't there? Um, something that occurs and it either makes you or breaks you that... I would say there's nothing that you can't not get through. Even in your most horrific, traumatic times, you just need to surround yourself with either the right people or the right books or the right support. And we see it, don't we, with musicians that, you know, go to fame, you know, at a very, very young age, you know, they have a breakdown when they're 30, 40. And I think it's about learning to have control and managing what you're going through and just having the right people around you. I mean, in my 20s, I was very, very insecure because I'd gone to a school, you know, that made you kind of look like a boy. You know, we didn't even know how to do hair or makeup. And then when I then was in the bigger wide world, you know, girls were wearing padded bras and hair and makeup. And I think my mum in my early teens, I was still getting my clothes from Woolworths, you know, and like crop top bras with Mickey Mouse on or whatever. <laughs> but I remember, you know, in my 20s, I had a lot of guy friends from college and I'm still in contact with them now. And they're like, you still look the same you did then. And I'm like, really? But in the mirror, all I could see is myself looking like Charlie Brown. And it's weird what we see in the mirror compared to others. But no, they were always like, God, Simone, you still look like you did in your 20s. But to me, I felt like I looked like a boy. So it's, it's weird, your insecurities. And, you know, I've talked about it a lot with a lot of girlfriends recently that are all now in their 40s. My mum always used to say to me, your 40s are the best years of your life. And I have to agree that if I knew now what I did in my 20s, I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry what people think, what, you know, my hair's like, my makeup, am I down with the, the, the coolest kids or my trainers? Because I am actually having the best time in my life now. And it's not because of money or business. It's me. It's how I feel as an individual. I feel very secure. I know what I want in my future. If I find it, great. If I don't, but it's not going to be a bad thing if I don't, if that makes sense. So what does the future look like for you? A business is business. You know, you don't set up a business not to earn money. You don't set up a business not to have international growth. You know, why would you do what, what you do? I've got two boys who are incredible. Would I like to settle down? Yeah, I would. Definitely. But like my neighbor said to me recently, I'm an alpha and I'm going to probably struggle to kind of find an alpha, but I'm an alpha in business, but 
behind closed doors. Armadillo. I'm like that little 15 year old girl. It's the armadillo, girl. right? <laughs> it's the armadillo. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to be going home to someone that loves them or looks at them in a certain way or, you know, and I suppose my issue is, is I don't need someone for the house, for the car, for the money. I want someone that's going to love me and I'm going to have fun with and they're going to take the mick out of me and we're going to just have a great time and travel and you know my boys are going to be part of that and and stuff as well but if that happens amazing but you know what if not I'm looking forward to what the years you know are going to entail with my boys traveling I'm doing a lot of research into diabetes and and things that could support Ashton and, and type 1 diabetics with children. So that's kind of where my head is for the next five years from a business and a science and a nutrition point of view. And it's a bit like the movie, isn't it? Sliding doors. You just never know. You know, 10 seconds of your life can be completely different if you're 10 seconds earlier or you're 10 seconds late. So you know, I do my manifestations, I do my Pilates, I do my beach walks daily and I and I think a lot, I journal, you know, and, and I'm a huge believer in all of that. So it's like they say, isn't it? Be careful what you wish for and be very, very precise. <laughs> so where, where can people go to find out more? Where so should people go to find out more? The best website is probably simonethomaswellness.com. We've got everything on there from about me, the team around me. It's got links to my other businesses, links to obviously all the products, all the magazines that we write for, the awards. But yeah, everything about me is on there. We've got LinkedIn, YouTube. God, what else? We've got recently TikTok. We've now had to start getting down with the the younger generation. So luckily, one of my internal girls now does that because I'm like, I can't get my head around that. I need to go away and do a two day course, I think, on TikTok. But yeah, the best bet is just go direct to the website. Fantastic. Simone, it's a brilliant story. I take my hat off to you. It's hugely inspiring. Uh, You've been through a tremendous amount. And I think the fact that you have such a bright, cheery outlook through the face of of, clearly some very traumatic Mm. circumstances and you've achieved so much is a real credit to you. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on, talking to us about it today. Simone Thomas, I wish you and your colleagues at Simone Thomas Wellness and all the other things that you've got going on all the very best for the future and uh, look forward to continuing to watch you fly. Thank, thank you. you. No, thank you, Lee. It's Fantastic. been amazing. <laughs> Great stuff. Thank you. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to today's Astrology podcast. I really appreciate your uh, audience and ears. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, then uh, why not hop onto iTunes and give us a review? I'd really appreciate anything that you might have to say, any feedback always gratefully received, and uh, look forward to hosting you next time. See you soon.